It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. Episode nine. So we are making our way through a series uh, called Life and Leadership Lessons from Teddy Roosevelt. I am in the chapel, which is, I guess, obvious if you're seeing this on video, but for those of you hearing this on audio, I've been doing uh, a unique thing in and through this series where I've been gathering on a Sunday night and I've been delivering four messages at once and we've been doing it once a month. And it's actually been really powerful and I've found that there's a certain momentum that is gained by going message to message to message to message as opposed to just doing a one-off. Uh, and even though I, I love during the student season when this, this room is packed full of students, I love walking through a season with a series. That has been really fun. And so if you ask me which one I like better, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still, the, the jury's out. But that means I actually really have liked this Sunday night's four-episode model. So technically what that would mean is that I would be in the final four-episode quadrant right now because this is uh, a 12-part series, or at least intended to be. And uh, I should always say God willing with something like that. And however, we had a mishap calendar-wise. We had some issues on this particular Sunday, uh, which was supposed to be the day when we had our next four, and it got pushed out a week, which uh, is this upcoming Sunday. And so I'm stepping into the chapel on an off day. Uh, This isn't a Sunday night. This is not in front of a large crowd. This is sort of my way of solving our riddle calendar-wise. So I'm putting one episode that'll be a little off-centered in this whole thing. Uh, At the same time, I think it perfectly fits the message. So I've designed my three for this upcoming Sunday, the three final ones, 10, 11, and 12 in this series. I think they're gonna work well together. Uh, One of the things I'm going to be unpacking in it is the relationship between Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft something that most of us have probably never thought about. Uh, And there's a lot of really powerful nuggets in that relationship that I would like to just sort of unpack, uncover, and uh, and set before all of us. But meanwhile, this one is sort of a standalone, and it marks a certain juncture in Teddy's life, which is at the very end. And so this would be fitting sort of right near the end. I originally had it scheduled as episode 11, and now it's episode nine, and that's because of all of this sort of calendar mishap. But it's, it's a standalone. It doesn't need three others on the sides of it. It is just sort of a thought in and of itself that doesn't really match a lot of the other thought in the series. At the same time, it does overall, I would, I would say, thematically fit extremely nice. So you guys ready? All right, let's embark upon episode nine. Part nine, the ever ready soldier. I got to have some really interesting quotes in this one. Uh, It looks like my font uh, is not translating through. So I have a really funny font on this and I'm realizing as we're doing this, why? We just got a new computer that isn't loaded up with the fonts that I use in my keynotes. So for those of you now seeing this via video, you can enjoy a new, uh, the default font that it went to. That, <laughs> it's a weird default font. I don't even know what that is, but uh, it's, a, it's a cool one. Uh, so 
uh, on the screen it says the soldier quality. There's a certain quality to a soldier. There's a certain expectation of a soldier. There's a, it's, there's a difference between the common man and the soldier. The soldier has a, a necessity, a requirement just sort of on his or her shoulders that when challenge or when opposition arises, the soldier is required to rise up and meet it. So if you were just to start there and you were to say, so how do we approach our spiritual life? Do we approach our spiritual life as if we're common people and that there's a separate soldier operation, a separate military system over there that yeah, they're the ones responsible for dealing with that. And so the soldier quality is innate within a man or a woman who understands their commission that they are here on earth for a very specific purpose, and that is to create a defense, a barricade, whether that's a defensive maneuver or an offensive maneuver, to establish truth in this generation, to preserve that which is right and honorable. So 2 Timothy 2.3 says it this way, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you can say, well, that's just Paul talking to Timothy. That really has nothing to do with me. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, yes, but it's also Paul talking to Timothy and therefore talking to us in and through talking with Timothy. First of all, this is the word of God. And so it has a transcendent quality to it that is very applicable. But it is also the training of a leader of the church who is supposed to entrust what he knows to reliable men so that they may be able to teach others. So we are being given an idea that we are to endure the challenges of this life as soldiers, or in this case, as Paul says, as good soldiers. So not just as soldiers, we're supposed to actually be good soldiers. Most of us, I think, when it, we come to our spiritual life, don't think of ourselves as soldiers. I think we look at ourselves more as survivors. We look at the culture around us, oh, it's getting so bad and so dark. And instead of looking at ourselves as the ones that are commissioned to do something about it, we look at ourselves as survivors. If I could just somehow make it through, maybe if I store up enough baked beans and enough water in my uh, basement, then I can endure through this uh, upcoming bomb blast. And what I would say is that mentality is very, very dangerous. And you're going to find out in this message, it's very opposite of the way that Teddy Roosevelt thought. So now on the screen, it says the soldier mentality. There's a certain thinking of a soldier. If you know that you are commissioned to do, to act, to intervene, then there's a certain mentality you have when you are baited with ease, you are baited with comfort, you are baited with a wider road as opposed to a narrow one. And so just as Christian in the story of Pilgrim's Progress comes to the hill difficulty and there's an easier road to the right and an easier road to the left. There's a broad way that he could jump upon. The commission of the soldier, the commission of the king is to actually go up hill difficulty. We are to endure hardness. We are to endure the, the journey with the mentality of a good soldier. And so this is a soldier mentality. I'm going to take this clip of scripture from 2 Samuel 11, 8 through 11. It's speaking of Uriah the Hittite. Now, most of us, when we think of Uriah the Hittite, do not th just think about a good soldier. We think about a, a poor guy who was taken advantage of. You know, you have the David Bathsheba. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. 
And so this whole escapade with David peering over, you know, at the, from the top of his roof line to see uh, Bathsheba, and it's like, oh, what a terrible story. Can you believe David? And to cover up his misdeed and his sin, he is going to ask Uriah to come back from battle and he's hoping that he can sort of cover this over by having Uriah go home to be with his wife. And then hopefully, you know, A plus B will equal C and Bathsheba will of course be pregnant and Uriah will think that it was him in this one escapade. And oh, it's a brilliant plan from David, right? And yet Uriah is a good soldier. And so Uriah, when he's baited with comfort in the midst of battle, is going to think very differently, watch this, than many of us do. Many of us look at comfort as, and pleasures as a right, an inerrant right, an inalienable right, I mean, we're Americans, right, to, that we share in as opposed to recognizing that as good soldiers, we relinquish rights. As, you know, if you were even dealing with professional athletes, if you have ever seen a professional athlete contract that they have with the organization, one of the illustrations I've brought up in the past is that a quarterback is going to sign a contract that he cannot ride a mechanical bull. Now, I'm not exactly sure what sort of person wants to ride a mechanical bull in the first place, but isn't that an interesting thing that... If you're going to aspire to be a professional quarterback, you have to give some things up. Now, some of you are like, I was happy to give that up anyways. And, but there are other things too. You see, if you're going to ever enter into harm's way, your organization is gonna say, hey, you can't do that. If you're gonna enter into harm's way, it's, it's on the football field. We want you healthy. If you wanna be a professional athlete, you have to give things up. If you wanna train for the Olympics, you're giving a lot up because you're gonna be training five to six hours a day. If you want to live as a great Christian, a good soldier, you have to be willing to give things up. And so listen to this story about Uriah. Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, this is an amazing statement. This is a good soldier talking. The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and to live, lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. That's nobility speaking. That's honor speaking. And yet it's a mentality that I think we have lost in Christianity today. And maybe I should say it this way, in North American Christianity. I think it still exists. It's just that it's, it's a very rare thing. It's a very rare thought to have go through the Christian mind today because we still have a tendency to think, well, this is still our right. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and you'd be correct. It's not that it's, it's evil to go to his house. That's not evil. It's not evil to be with his wife that night. That's not evil. That could even be deemed good. However, he's a good soldier. So in this situation, he's to reason as one. And for us, we are to work in and through the challenges, the hardness of our current circumstance in this culture as good soldiers, not as one seeking to just have it easy. And hopefully someone else can deal with the difficult aspects of it. 
So here's one I, I have always really loved this letter. It's a letter written in 1861 by a Union soldier named Edward Hastings Ripley. And uh, I think I found this in one of those Ken Burns uh, uh, docu documentaries about the Civil War back in the day. Uh, but outskirts of Baltimore is how it starts. My dear William, I can now march 20 and 25 miles a day, live on short rations of hardtack, raw rancid bacon, green roasting ears, and cold water, sleep out in the rain, having no more than an army coat over me, and enjoy myself capitally. What a great statement. See, that's the mentality of a soldier. You see, you're giving up a lot to be a soldier, but they're having the time of their life. Many soldiers back in this time period, sort of, I could say pre-World War I, and I'm not saying there weren't any soldiers in World War I that didn't enjoy it. I mean, there were some, but the enjoyment of war definitely uh, took a hit. But men used to love to go off to war, and they would lose privileges. They lost comforts, but they loved it. The ever-ready soldier. So here's a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I've always told my boys that if there were a war in their lifetime, that I wish them to be in a position to tell their children why they did go to it and not why they did not go to it. Now, I, technically, there's a delicate uh, territory that I could step into right now, and that's the issue of how we as Christians should respond to a war. If the United States declared war on another country, and they wanted your participation, that's a delicate issue because it's an issue of conscience for many Christians of how they engage with that. Do they feel comfortable carrying a weapon and killing someone, uh, even if it's for their country? Those are, those are challenging things. And I'm not really wanting to talk about that because that isn't what this is about, even though you could definitely try and read into that. I'm talking about a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. If there's a war in your lifetime, then what Teddy Roosevelt is teaching his kids is that he wants his boys to be in a position to tell their children why they did go to it and not why they did not go to it. And I think that is a profound statement. Yet another war arrives in Teddy's lifetime. So Teddy lived this out. When there was a war in his lifetime, the Spanish-American War, he went to it. And that was the grand picture of, you know, the Battle of San Juan Hill. We rode up San Juan Hill and, and basically, essentially, I don't know if it's according to him or according to history, those, that's a debatable point, but won the Spanish-American War. And so there's going to be another war. And this is in the latter years. Teddy Roosevelt's going to die at the age of 60. And this is going to come in the year 1914. It's a, it's a war. You may have heard of it. It's called World War I. And so this is right at the end of his life, in his final what was like five years uh, of his life, this is going to uh, emerge. And how's he going to respond? Even though he's, what, 50, I don't know, what, what was he? 50, I think 1917 is when this is going to happen, two years before he died. So around 57, 58, I'm going to guess, is when this story is going to arrive. That's older than me, right? So I'm just imagining at the age of 53, if there was a war... And, you know, of course, I felt in good conscience I could fight in it. But I'm just saying, would I actually even consider the thought that I, an older sort of character in, the, in, in this generation, would actually be the one to go and fight it? But Teddy, the very way he trained his sons, is actually going to be thinking, I need to go to the war. 
Well, buddy, you're way past your prime. He's already had two presidents, uh, you know, presidencies. He's already, he's gone on trips to four different continents. He just got back from South America and he is, his body is racked with disease. He almost died there. He has lost his sight in one of his eyes. He is, his health is terrible. He's way overweight. He has no clue how modern warfare works. And guess who wants to go to battle? Teddy Roosevelt. Ken Burns says it this way in his uh, documentary, the, the Roosevelts. The former president was in town to see the current one and to try and get into the war. He called at the White House the next day. So he's going to arrive in Washington, D.C., and he's going to call on Woodrow Wilson. Now, because he's the ex-president, he has access to the current president. Most of us couldn't just show up in Washington, D.C. and set up an appointment like this, but he's Teddy Roosevelt. And what does he want? Well, uh, see if we can sort of unpack that. So Teddy is going to say this to President Wilson in a private meeting. All my previous criticisms are dust in the windy street, are dust in a windy street, I assure you. So he had been very harsh on Woodrow Wilson. And he wanted Woodrow Wilson to get into the war, and he couldn't believe that we were allowing uh, the Germans to get away with what they were getting away with uh, in Europe. And it was high time the Allies united and we get involved in this thing. Now, Woodrow Wilson had his, I mean, this was not an easy situation for him. I mean, most of the country was not favorable towards us getting involved in the war in the first place. But Teddy felt like we were cowards that, uh, that we weren't getting involved. And so he's going to step into the White House and he's going to make it clear. Look, all my previous criticisms are dust in a windy street, I assure you. So he's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm going to just let all that go. I want to help. Now, the United States was entering the war at this time, so that's why he was taking advantage of this situation. Ken Burns said it this way, all Teddy wanted to do was help. The Allies were desperate. It would take time to train an American army. He was sure he could raise a division of volunteers virtually overnight, lead it into battle, and inspire the Allies to hold on. Now, you could call Teddy a romantic, but... And I don't know that there's a really good description of what this is, but I am amazed that after all he's gone through in his life, he still is pressing forward saying, hey, I'll go over there, I'll die. I'll gladly, I just want to inspire the troops. I mean, this is an amazing statement. The grand vision of Teddy Roosevelt, what did he want? He wanted the Rough Riders to ride again. The Rough Riders, that's the group that he gathered together, a volunteer regiment that took San Juan Hill in the, in the first place back in the late 1800s. And now he wants the Rough Riders to ride again. And he has a huge collection of them. They're all in. I don't know if all of them are old like Teddy, but they're all like, I'll give up my life for this. They all sort of think out of this same mentality. They have a soldiering mentality. Woodrow Wilson is going to say this to one of his aides after meeting with Roosevelt. He is a great big boy. There is a sweetness about him. You can't resist the man. What an amazing statement. Woodrow Wilson didn't even like Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt sure didn't like Woodrow Wilson. And yet the graciousness even in Woodrow Wilson's speech there, that Roosevelt is just a great big boy. That matches with one of my previous uh, messages uh, in this series called A Very Big Boy. And because that's just what he was, even in his latter years, I mean, this is right before he's going to die. He is a great big boy. There is a sweetness about him. You can't resist the man. So what is Woodrow Wilson going to do? This is a tough situation. I'm going to call it Woodrow's quandary. 
He could let Teddy go to war and Teddy gets massacred. You see, one of the things we know now that they didn't have a full understanding of, I mean, Woodrow Wilson had a clearer picture of it than Teddy did. Teddy still envisioned World War I. It wasn't called World War I. It was called the Great War at the time, and I don't even know that it had a name at this exact juncture. But it was like all the other wars where you, it's the hero that takes the day. Anyone that has the, whoever has the most guts and the most bravado is going to scare uh, the, uh, the enemy and they're going to go running and, you know, he's going to win this just like he did San Juan Hill. He can envision it. He can taste it. But this isn't like that. This is modern warfare. This is trench warfare. This is machine guns, tanks. This is uh, poisonous gases. This is like all new. Previous warfare has never seen anything like this. And so the heroism and the nobility that the French brought into World War I, trying to bring old school war into new school warfare, uh, they just got mowed down by machine guns. And it was disastrous. And Woodrow knows something. He knows that Teddy, on his little uh, you know, ride uh, in on horseback in against machine gun fire is just going to get mowed down. So does he agree to this? Does he say yes to this? So uh, Woodrow's quandary, let Teddy go to war and Teddy gets massacred? Or does he decline Teddy's request and Wilson gets massacred? Remember, Teddy Roosevelt's the most popular guy in the country right now. And so if he is going to turn this down, then he is going to have the press and the public all over him. What does he do? Is he send a president off to die, an ex-president off to die? Not an easy situation for him. But Woodrow Wilson had his own mind and he wasn't going to consider, you know, how the populace was going to think about it. He'd already been reelected. So he was fine and he turned him down. Ken Burns said it this way, Woodrow Wilson turned him down. After all, Theodore Roosevelt was half blind, in bad health, out of touch with military developments, and an amateur. Whew. So here's Woodrow Wilson with his public statement on the Roosevelt matter. The business now at hand is undramatic, practical, and of scientific definitiveness and precision. Sort of like, we don't need the romantic here. We don't need the guy with his bravado to just charge in like he did at San Juan Hill. This is a totally different kind of war, guys. And what we have now is, needs undramatic and practical answers, scientific definitiveness and precision, not Teddy, you know, overweight Teddy with one eye. This isn't the solution, guys. So he's going to say no. Ken Burns said it this way, Roosevelt was deeply wounded by this rejection. Teddy Roosevelt said this, this is a very exclusive war and I have been blackballed by the Committee on Admissions. The importance of vision. Remove the vision from the man and the man perishes. Now, if you've ever heard that one proverb that you know, talks about uh, where there is no vision, then the people perish, there is... Truly, I always like to capitalize the vision there, you know, the, the word vision, because it truly, it, it is an actual statement of fact that it's, if we lose our vision of what this is all about, the, the picture of Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, if we don't see that, then we squander this life away. We perish, truly. When we see it, it gives us life. Now, you could uncapitalize the V in vision, and you could say the same thing. If you don't have vision in life, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning, right? Well, for a soldier, and I'm going to read the second line, remove the battle from the soldier and the soldier withers away. 
Many people have said that this is the point where Teddy Roosevelt's going to head towards death, right here. Now, there's other things that are going to happen. I'll probably cover it in the upcoming episodes, but uh, where one of his sons is going to die in World War I, and that is going to hit him similar time period as this. And so he suddenly feels useless, like he can't do anything to help what's going on in the world. One of the things I want to pinpoint for all of us, and I wish I could encourage Teddy about this, because he lost his vision. He had been a world changer, and now he wants to continue to be. He wants to invest. He, he can do this. He can recruit thousands of men to go over there. They're ready to go right now, and they'll gladly spend their life. And when you get a no to that, it can deflate you. And as believers, I don't care if the church around us understands the value of our unique commission. You know, because sometimes they don't. Sometimes you have one of those giftings in the church and you're like, I'd really like to do this. And you always feel like people are like, no, well, we don't need that. It does not matter about the human endorsement. You have value. Your role is important. Keep soldiering. Keep going. Don't let this deflate your tires. Don't let it remove the wind from your sail. That's the enemy's business. You see, Teddy is going to lose his heart somewhere right in this point. He is going to age very quickly. His, his body was already, I mean, he had a bullet lodged inside of his chest still. This guy is on the, you know, the decline physically anyways, but emotionally, he was still a boy. Mentally, he was still a boy. He still had a job to do. He still was ready to run for the 1920 election. He was, he was ready to change the world, and then suddenly he lost his vision. C.T. Studd uh, says it this way. I think the, the book is called Chocolate Soldiers. I rewrote it uh, in a version called No More Chocolate Soldiers. It's a slight edit with sort of some modern vernacular in it. It's, it's actually a really powerful uh, piece. But listen to this quote from it. Real battle is the heroic soldier's vital breath. Seasons of ease turn true soldiers into stooping asthmatics. They waste away if their vigor goes unspent. Isn't that an interesting statement? Let me read that again. They waste away if their vigor goes unspent. It is war that makes this heroic sort of soldier a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and verve of a hero. That's Teddy Roosevelt right there. However, that's us too. You see, we are designed for this. Now, if you have not cultivated this soldiering side of your soul, this could just sound weird to you. It could sound way over the top, a big hyperbole of how we're supposed to live as the Christian. And yet, if you live low, then you can survive without vision. Why? Because you never were, that was never your fuel source in the first place. So you just sort of live a mediocre life, you accept a mediocre life, and you're fine with a mediocre life. However, when you aim high and you choose to live as a good soldier, then you feed off of battle. And so you need to constantly stay sharp because you were engaged in a battle. With Teddy, it was a physical battle and that was his problem. He felt he needed the physical adventure to engage his inner man and to live vibrantly. But what he always had access to was a spiritual battle and he may have missed that. I don't know, I can't speak for that side of his life, but you ought not to. You see, you are to be the ever-ready soldier. 
You are to be the one who is engaged in a constant battle and loves it. You are supposed to be a very big boy, if you will, that even no matter how old you get, that you have the vision of adventure, of challenge, of embracing it, of living with difficulty and yet desiring and craving it and enjoying it thoroughly. David McCullough in an interview said this about Roosevelt, I think that is when it all ended for him. So this is speaking of when he was rejected by, uh, by Wilson to be able to go over and renew the Rough Riders. So I think that this is when it all ended for him. This is not his world. His world had ended and he gets very old very rapidly as if he were a high intensity light bulb that burned out very quickly. It's just sort of, I guess, burdens my heart thinking about this, but it's not just Teddy. This is something that can happen to every single one of us. Where, you ever had it where you're very excited about something, you have a vision for something, and then something happens, whether it's from the authority part of your life that just nullifies, says, no, we can't do that, no, we're not doing that, or the circumstances in your life change and you can't do it, but it can really mess you up for a while. And that is where we stick our vision. That is where we recognize where our battle is. You see, if our adventure is totally defined by earthly circumstances, just like joy, if your joy is dependent upon circumstances being good, then you're going to have a rough go in the joy department in your life. However, if your joy is knit to God's faithfulness, God's consistency, then it will never alter. You can be joyful in every situation because God is the same always, yesterday, today, and forever. In him is no shadow of turning. We have a tendency to affix ourselves to things that can change instead of fixing ourselves to things that can't change. And so when we abide in Christ and when we adhere ourselves to him, to his purposes in this earth, we can always have a confidence that no matter if we're rejected by Wilson, that we still can function as a soldier. We can still contribute to the world in which we live and for the glory of Jesus Christ, do what we do. Ken Burns said it this way, if he could not fight, his four sons could. And one by one, he secured places for them that would nudge them as close as, close as possible to danger. Whew, there's some good stories in there that I'm gonna have to skip, but Teddy Roosevelt said this, I should be ashamed of my sons if they shirked war just as I should be ashamed of my daughters if they shirked motherhood. Whew, politically incorrect statement there, but really fascinating if you examine it. I should be ashamed of my sons if they shirked war. It's a mentality of a soldier. It's a soldiering father in this situation. You see, what he wanted is to train his sons to embrace the difficulty the same way he had. And there was an ideal of manhood that he was presenting, but there's a truth in that. And yet I don't know that I would describe it the same way or look at the men in our church as if they didn't go off to war that they were you know, somehow off. I would say the issue is all of us are called to go off to war, but it's a spiritual war first. And if we are shirking our spiritual responsibility, our spiritual war, if we are not engaging in it with the prayer, the tool of prayer, the weapon of prayer that we have, if we're not wielding the weapon of rejoicing, if we're not wielding the weapon of love and obedience, and we're shirking this responsibility, then I would say I could come to the same conclusion that Teddy would come to. 
You see, that is not acceptable in the church of Jesus Christ. We have a job to do. We're on high alert right now. We have received a commission from the Most High God. Let's do our part. Let's be ever ready soldiers. You see, there is a principle that goes through scripture of being ready. Whether that's the virgins with their oil in their lamp, whether that's the sheep that when they see those in need, the impoverished, the naked, the hungry, the imprisoned, that they're ready to do what is necessary. That when someone comes to us, no matter the circumstances, no matter the season, we are ready in and out of season to be able to deliver a reason for why we hold to the faith we hold to. You see, there is a readiness, just like Uriah the Hittite. We're in the time of battle. He's not going to go home and take it easy because he needs to be sharp for battle. The same is true for us. And I want to invite you into that form of thinking, that form of living out your Christianity. Battle. It's an acquired taste. You see, most of us, as we're hearing about battle right now, are are not attracted to it, to be honest. In fact, we want to avoid it like it's a plague. What is it about Teddy that wants to go straight into it? And I would say, whatever that is, we likely have not cultivated our taste buds to understand its value. I, don't, I, I had an uncle that used to take me when I would go on trips with him. I went on some very unique trips. And he would always go to five-star restaurants, and I, would have to, I had to wear a suit in his car as we were driving uh, up you know, through New York and Maine. And it was quite the experience because I don't, that wasn't the lens I looked at life. I didn't go into five-star restaurants. He would always order a fine wine and taste it. And I was too young to drink it anyways, so I didn't have that issue. But I, it was a very odd uh, and unusual experience, but he would sometimes give me foods to taste. I remember he had, it, it, there was some kind of, it was a mushroom truffle, I think is what it was called. So if I say truffle, you could think of a chocolate, but this was a mushroom version of it. And we were in this fine French restaurant in New York City, and he ordered a truffle, and it came, and this thing must have cost hundreds of dollars too, which was disturbing to me to start with. But it was just like a simple plate. It wasn't even that big. Uh, it was just a th- one slice of this mushroom and a delicacy, right? And he wanted to share a little of it with me. And to him, that was a big deal, right? This is a very expensive thing. He wants to give me a bite. And I did not want a bite of that ugly looking thing. First of all, mushrooms aren't the most attractive thing in the first place. But then I tasted it out of, you know, deference and honor to him. And I had to act like I liked it because I knew how much it cost, but it was disgusting. Now, who in their right mind would pay that much for that? Now, there's some of you out there that know the value of that mushroom, and you know how rare it is, and you know how scrumptious it could be to someone who develops the taste for it. That's sort of like looking at Teddy, right? He's eating mushroom truffles, and all of us are like, yuck. Maybe I shouldn't say not all of us. Some of you would actually get all excited about it. But the point being, battle is an acquired taste just like a truffle, just like caviar. Boy, that stuff's not good. And... Yet, if you cultivate the taste, you can actually appreciate the value of it. Battle has value to our souls. Most of us try and escape from it instead of embracing it. And if there's a battle in your generation, are you ready to head into it? Because that's what you're designed for. And I'm going to answer the question for you. Yes, there's a battle in your generation. There's a great war out there. It's in progress right now. And God is looking to recruit you into his active army. 
And it doesn't matter your age. He doesn't just go in this one window of young uh, adulthood. He is willing to draft the 53-year-old or the 58-year-old or the 97-year-old. It doesn't matter. We're all ready. If, he, if we're willing, he's ready to take us into his active army. So battle, it's an acquired taste. So look at this. I changed it on the screen. It's a spiritual battle. It's an acquired taste. You see, spiritual battle is not something we naturally gravitate towards, nor desire, nor yearn to have any more of. However, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to touch your spiritual taste buds and to train you and to help you understand the value, the privilege, the opportunity that exists for us to engage in this wonderful thing called spiritual battle. I finished each one of these messages with a question. So this is Teddy Roosevelt question number nine. Are we spiritual soldiers? Do we have the taste for battle? If not, are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to assist us in acquiring it? That's a really good question right there because you can hear this message and just move on. But I want you to pause and ask, do you have the taste for what God tastes? What God says is good, do you actually deem good? Or do you look at what God says is good when he says that sufferings are a benefit to us, when he says rejoice when you face trials of many kinds, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy? You see, that is the opposite of our taste buds. But if you're willing, the Holy Spirit will tutor and train your soul to understand that statement so that to you it is the purest form, the greatest form of joy, as opposed to just in the text of Scripture, it says it is. Wouldn't you want to join in on the actual reality and experience of knowing that? And that's what this is about. Being an ever-ready soldier is a decision in our souls to agree with God's way. And I finished each of these messages with a quote. So this is Teddy Roosevelt, quote number nine, Teddy on training his boys for battle. Now, this is the quote I started with, so it's not really a shocker quote, but it's a great way to finish. Teddy said this, I've always told my boys that if there were a war in their lifetime, that I wish them to be in a position to tell their children why they did go to it and not why they did not go to it. Father, I think we need help as the modern church. We need the grace of God to intervene in our life right now, to train us in a soldiering mentality, to be like Uriah the Hittite right now in our current engagement, to not fall for the bait of the flesh, but to truly stand for the principle and the purpose of what the kingdom is about in this earth. Lord, we got one shot at this thing called life and we want to do it well. So Lord, build us up to do this right. We ask for this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.